0: The Book of Psalms, chapter 2, verses 4 through 12. He that sits in the heavens shall laugh, the Lord shall have them in derision. Let us now turn our eyes from the wicked council chamber and raging tumult of man to the secret place of the majesty of the Most High. What does God say? What will the King do to the men who reject his only begotten Son, the heir of all things? Mark the quiet dignity of the Omnipotent One and the contempt which he pours upon the princes and their raging people. He has not taken the trouble to rise up and do battle with them. He sits in the heavens. He despises them. He knows how absurd, how irrational, how futile their attempts are against him. And therefore he laughs at them. Verse 5, Then he shall speak unto them in his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. After he has laughed, he shall speak. He needs not smite. The breath of his lips is enough. At the moment when their power is at its height, and their fury most violent, then shall his word go forward against them. And what is it that he says? It is a very galling sentence. Yet, says he, despite your malice, despite your tumultuous gatherings, despite the wisdom of your counsels, despite the craft of your lawgivers, yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Is that not a grand exclamation? He has already done that which the enemy seeks to prevent. While they are proposing, he has disposed the matter. Jehovah's will is done. And man's will frets and raves in vain. God's anointed is appointed and shall not be disappointed. Look back through all the ages of infidelity. Hearken to the high and hard things which men have spoken against the Most High. Listen to the rolling thunder of earth's volleys against the majesty of heaven. And then think that God is saying all the while, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Yet Jesus reigns. Yet he sees of the travail of his soul, and his unsuffering kingdom yet shall come when he shall take unto himself his great power and reign from the river unto the ends of the earth. Even now he reigns in Zion, and our glad lips sound forward the praises of the Prince of Peace. Greater conflicts may here be foretold, but we may be confident that victory will be given to our Lord and King. Glorious triumphs are yet to come. Hasten them, we pray, O Lord. It is Zion's glory and joy that her king is in her, guarding her from her foes and filling her with all manner of good things. Jesus sits upon the throne of grace and the throne of power in the midst of his church. In him is Zion's best safeguard. Let her citizens be glad in him. Thy walls are strength, and at thy gates a guard of heavenly warriors waits. Nor shall thy deep foundations move, fixed on his counsels and his love. Thy foes in vain designs engage, against his throne in vain they rage, like rising waves with angry roar that dash and die upon the shore. Verse 7-9 through nine. I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron, you will dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. This psalm wears something of a dramatic form, for now another person is introduced as speaking. We have looked into the council chamber of the wicked and to the throne of God, and now we behold the anointed declaring his rights of sovereignty and warning the traitors of their doom. God has laughed at the counsel and ravings of the wicked, and now Christ, the anointed himself, comes forward as the risen Redeemer, declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead looking into the angry faces of the rebellious kings the anointed one seems to say if this suffices not to make you silent I will declare the decree now this decree is directly in conflict with the device of man for its tenor is the establishment of the very dominion against which the nations are raving you are my son Here is a noble proof of the glorious divinity of our Emmanuel, for unto which of the angels has he said at any time, You are my son, today have I begotten thee. What a mercy to have a divine Redeemer in the Godhead of our Lord. Let us not attempt to fathom it, for it is a great truth, a truth reverently to be received, but not irreverently to be scanned it may be added that if this relates to the begotten one and his, his human nature we must here also rejoice in the mystery but not attempt to viol- violate its sanctity by intrusive prying into the secrets of the eternal God the things which are revealed are enough without venturing into vain speculations in attempting to define the Trinity or unveil the essence of divinity men have lost themselves here great ships have floundered what have we to do in such a sea with our frail skiffs ask of me and i shall give thee the heathen for thy for your inheritance it was a custom among great kings to give to favored ones whatever they ask So Jesus has but to ask and have. Here he declares that his very enemies are his inheritance. To their face he declares the decree. And lo, here cries the anointed one, as he holds aloft in that one pierced hand the scepter of his power. He has given me this, not only the right to be a king, but the power to conquer. Jehovah has given his anointed a rod of iron, with which he shall break rebellious nations in pieces. And despite their imperial strength, they will be as potters' vessels, easily dashed into shivers. When the rod of iron is in the hand of the omnipotent Son of God, those who will not bend must break. Potters' vessels are not to be restored if dashed in pieces, and the ruin of sinners will be hopeless if Jesus shall smite them. Ye sinners, seek his grace, whose wrath you cannot bear. Fly to the shelter of his cross, and find salvation there. <clears throat> Verses 10-12 through 12. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all they that put their trust in him. The scene changes once more, and counsel is given to those who have taken counsel to rebel. They are exhorted to obey and give the kiss of homage and affection to him whom they have hated. Be wise. It is always wise to be willing to be instructed, especially when such instruction tends to the salvation of the soul. Be wise now, therefore. Delay no longer, but let good reason weigh with you. Your warfare cannot succeed, therefore desist and yield cheerfully to him who will make you bow if you refuse his yoke. Oh, how wise, how infinitely wise is obedience to Jesus, and how dreadful. Is the folly of those who continue to be his enemies serve the lord with fear let reverence and humility be mingled with your service he is a great god and we are but puny creatures Bend, therefore, in lowly worship, and let fear mingle with all your obedience to the Great Father of the ages. Rejoice with trembling. There must ever be a holy fear mixed with the Christian's joy. This trembling, fear without joy, is torment. This is a sacred compound yielding a sweet smell, and we must see to it that we burn no other upon the altar. Fear without joy's torment, and joy without fear would be presumption. Mark the solemn argument for reconciliation and obedience. It is an awful thing to perish in the midst of sin, in the very way of rebellion. And yet how easily could his wrath destroy us suddenly? It needs not that his anger should be heated seven times hotter. Let the fuel kindle but a little, and we are consumed." O sinner take heed of the terrors of the Lord for our God is a consuming fire note the benediction with which the psalm closes blessed are they that put their trust in him have we a share in this blessedness do we trust in him our faith may be slender as a spider's thread but if it is real We are in our measure blessed. The more we trust, the more fully shall we know this blessedness. We may therefore close the psalm with the prayer of the apostles. Lord, increase our faith. The first psalm was a contrast between the righteous man and the sinner. The second psalm is a contrast between the tumultuous disobedience of the ungodly world and the sure exaltation of the righteous Son of God. In the first psalm, we saw the wicked driven away like chaff. In the second psalm, we see them broken in pieces like a potter's vessel. In the first psalm, we beheld the righteous like a tree planted by the rivers of water, and here we contemplate Christ, the covenant head of the righteous, made better than a tree planted by the rivers of water, for he is made king of all the islands, and all the heathens bow before him and kiss the dust, while he himself gives a blessing to all those who put their trust in him. The two Psalms are worthy of the very deepest attention. They are, in fact, the preface in the entire book of Psalms, and were by some of the ancients joined into one. They are, however, two psalms, for Paul speaks this of the second psalm. The first shows us the character and a lot of the righteous, and the next teaches us that the psalms are messianic and speak of Christ the Messiah. The prince shall reign from the river even unto the ends of the earth. That they have both a far-reaching prophetic outlook, we are well assured, but we do not feel competent to open up that matter right now and must leave it to abler hands.